right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Sunshine and Brain, part of the Perry Veritas Network, the podcast where we have conversations about mental health in as down-to-earth and normal way possible. How's everybody doing? Nice to, nice to be talking to you, as usual. Uh, this here is episode 18. 18. Andre and I are back at it. I'm going to talk in a little bit about you know, what this episode is about as well as some, some potential fears and pitfalls associated with what it is that Dre and I are trying to do here. But uh, before we do that, I want to take a little bit of time, as usual, for a check-in. As you know, uh, as I always say, you know, trying to make conversations about mental health as normalized and destigmatized as possible, which requires a certain willingness to share. And uh, so that's what I try to do, at least in the intro. And, uh, and then, you know, if it's an interview with someone about mental health and the conversation sort of continues there. Uh, Andre and I have been doing these recordings, which has been so much fun and, um, you know, sort of been a really interesting process. First, diving into racism, which is a sort of larger conversation about mental health uh, kind of on a social level and in the way at which the way in which, you know, it has a tendency to sort of fall into our own personal lives, obviously. And then our last four part conversation about religion which is uh, less about personal mental health and more about overall kind of social, historical, mental health sort of deal. You know, that's, uh, that's what that conversation has been about. And now we're diving into toxic masculinity, which is a huge conversation about mental health. And so I'm really excited to go here and to see, you know, sort of where this conversation can go and, you know, who we can get to take part and uh, the ways in which, we can, at least within ourselves, you know, for me personally, sort of selfishly, the way in which I, for myself, can explore how, you know, toxic, how I've been toxically male throughout my life so I can be less so and also uh, how I can be sort of a more healthy, more balanced human being. So, yeah, yeah so that's what, that's what we got going on in this episode. So how's everybody doing? I am in a very, very nice place right now. And I'm not going to go into details as to why, but I am finding quite a bit of happiness right now in my life. And it's, um, it's pretty exciting and cool, I have to say. And what's especially kind of interesting about it on sort of two levels is on one hand, you know, it's, it's obviously wonderful to be happy and wonderful to be excited about a thing that's happening in my life. But I'm also happy and excited about a thing that's happening in my life in the face of perhaps the scariest time in history that I've ever been alive for, (laughs) which is like the weirdest juxtaposition of all time. You know what I mean? Like, I I was like in Manhattan on September 11th. I've talked about that in the podcast before, and that was some scary shit, but this is something different. You know, this is something different, man. It's not out of the question to imagine that this country is about to sink into a level of violence that we haven't seen since the civil fucking war. You know, it's, uh, it's craziness. And here I am like, like experiencing a thing, living a thing that's really exciting and fun and happy. And in the face of all that fear, it's a, it's a fascinating juxtaposition. So, you know, how, how do I feel about that? And what is that like and everything else? And we actually, I had therapy last night and talked about this with my therapist and, you know, 
you, I, I, I sort of wish everybody else could be here. You know, I, I, I don't feel any less angry about who our president is. If anything, I feel like I've got the healthy space to be more angry about him. I don't feel any less fear about what's going to happen the day after the election and beyond, you know, than I did before. I feel just as much fear as I did before. I don't feel any less outraged at the ridiculous behavior of our current president and many of his minions and followers than I did before. But that outrage is now sort of set against a, a backdrop of just a lot of joy and excitement at the same time. And, you know, I kind of, I kind of wish everybody had a chance to, to feel that, you know, I wish everyone had a chance to have that sort of interesting and nice balance in terms of, what's going on right now and, and everything else. So it's, uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting, an interesting moment. You know, what's, uh, what's funny is that on a, it's almost like on a social level, the same thing is happening as you might find within me on sort of a personal private level. In other words, you know, I'm, I'm deeply, deeply excited and happy by something that's happening in my life right now. And at the same time, obviously completely terrified about what is about to happen in our country and what's generally happening in our world. And those two things are sort of running together. I'm also, while at the same time, deeply excited and happy about things that are happening in my personal life right now. I'm also at the same time, personally, minding the sort of depressive thoughts that go along with that happiness. Meaning that, you know, it's like, so as I've mentioned before in this podcast, I've given a name to my depressive voice in my head and his name is Frank. And Frank is a dick. Like he's a total dick. You know, he, he takes every single opportunity he can to try and bring me down, to try to point out the scary shit that's out there, to try to, you know, manage my expectations in a way that's quite frankly unhealthy. The weird thing about Frank is that actually he loves me right? Because he is me. And he only does what he does to try to sort of temper expectations to, to prepare me for the worst. And so as is usual, when I'm kind of at my highest in life, you know, when I'm most excited about what's going on, that is often the moment where Frank is the most kind of hypersensitive to the smallest little ounce of potential bad news that could be out there on the horizon. You know what I mean? So like, for example... I mean, you know, Frank is certain that our country is about to descend into civil war, 100%. But Frank is also fairly certain that there's a comet about to hit the earth. You know, <laughs> like, those thoughts are there. Frank is fairly certain I'm about to, like, be diagnosed with cancer, you know, or I'm going to get hit by a bus, or this is where I get into a fatal car accident, or, <laughs> or some kind of other tragic thing that could happen in my life that's just going to derail everything. And Frank is taking every fucking opportunity to remind me of those potential, you know, those potential pitfalls of those things that are there. So it's pretty, it's, it's a pretty interesting kind of dynamic to try and sort of balance that. But when you pull back and look at it, at least for me, you know, my, my therapy process has been a process of both kind of getting to know, you know, how my brain functions and then using that as a means for, as well as other tools, but using that as a starting point, as a means to um, rewire the neural pathways. 
which is a, a really tough thing to do. I mean, that's the tough thing about mental health in general is that you're trying to fix the machine from inside the machine as the fucking machine. And that's a, that's a mind fuck of a process. It's really, really hard to engage with that in a way that's functional or in a way that, in a way that works, you know? And so, but that's kind of how I try to do it. So I'm, you know, looking around and, and I see what I see in the world. You know, I see some really scary business. I see awful sorts of racist leadership policies, which are empowering the racist voices in our country, which are leading us down a path of really, you know, horrific, awful violence. And I see it. I see, you know, economic problems, people who have lost their jobs, who are just getting angrier and angrier and more imbalanced and more imbalanced and, you know, heading down personal and also social paths of really awful unrest. I see that stuff. And I also know the potential for negative things in my own life. You know, I, 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 I see potential for, you know, sort of really scary kinds of things happening in my personal world as well. You know, people who are important to me who may not be making the healthiest decisions for themselves at this time. You know, my, my daughters and the kind of different stages of development that they're in and watching them sort of navigate the continued challenges that we face via the pandemic. My oldest starting high school and navigating the social cues of high school, which is really challenging, but do, having to do that from a distance, you know, only doing distance learning. My youngest, you know, navigating a hybrid uh, on-campus slash distance learning program and trying to get herself into the right rhythm rhythms, you know, that way. Uh, people in my family, you know, facing different challenges and things like that. And I sort of see all these things. And I'm also looking at my own life and I see that I'm currently in a place where I'm on this absolute sort of rush, you know, where I'm just feeling quite excited and wonderful about, you know, one specific thing that's, that's happening in my life right now. And you can feel like you're walking on the edge of a cliff, right? I mean, it's like the higher you are, the farther the fall that you have to make. But it doesn't have to be a tight, doesn't have to feel like a tight wire walk, you know, like a tightrope walk when you're sort of aware of where it's at, you know? So those moments where Frank kind of pipes in and says, ah, see, see, you know, you should probably go kill yourself, right? Those moments where Frank sort of says that, I can look at Frank and say, I understand why you're saying that. Thank you. You know, I appreciate you. <laughs> Uh, you're doing this out of out of love, and I appreciate that. But I also see what's going on. You know, there's a lot of things to be unsure about. And right now, I'm feeling great. And so you're taking this opportunity to point out to me all the things to be unsure about. And I really appreciate that. So thank you for doing that. And I expected you to do that because I see that I'm feeling great. So this is just what you do. And in talking to him like that, it's like I can kind of put him in a box. Does that make sense? Like I can like uh, put him in his proper context and say, this was to be expected. This is just what happens when we've got this sort of perfect storm of different ingredients and things that are going on. So it's a, uh, it's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting, it's a pretty interesting time. So, yeah, 
that's really all I have to say in terms of check-in. I mean, as you can tell, there's uh, some things that I'm pretty excited about happening in life right now that I'm just not interested in sharing with you. I mean, this is a pretty vulnerable podcast to do, but I did say that there are some things that I am willing to openly talk about and some things that I'm not willing to openly talk about until the proper time, if at all, you know? And so when and if there's a proper time for me to talk more about what I'm really excited about, then yeah, I'm going to do that. But for now, suffice it to say, I'm pretty fucking hyped right now. (laughs) I'm pretty hyped right now. So uh, yeah, amidst the chaos, I'm a a very happy camper. Definitely a happy camper. I hope everyone that's listening to this is finding their own way to joy, you know, finding their own way to um, find your own happiness amidst the storm. It's really important to be able to do that, be it through self-care or friendship or love or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that you are definitely finding your way to do that. So in this episode, Andre and I are back at it. We're discussing toxic masculinity. This was a topic that I wanted to bring up and talk with Dre. I mean, as we're kind of exploring some of the ills of society, racism being one, religion being another, men are, when you think about it, probably number one. (laughs) The number one ill of society is just half the fucking species. (laughs) So, and me being one of them, and not just one of them, but like the worst kind of all of them. I mean, I'm I'm reporting to you as a cisgendered, heterosexual white man, and it just doesn't get any fucking worse than me. <laughs> so, oh god, uh, this is a definitely a, an interesting topic to dive into, and not just dive into as a cisgendered heterosexual white male, but diving it, diving into it with a cisgendered heterosexual black male. <laughs> so a white dude and a black dude get together to talk about fucking toxic masculinity. So we are both, as you'll hear in this episode, kind of rightfully intimidated by diving into this topic. So what I want to say is a couple things. First of all, this episode is just our part one of it. And this is just kind of a free form conversation between me and Andre, you know, just generally speaking, trying to trying to at least begin to dive in to explore the topic. So we talk about some of our earliest encounters with toxic masculinity and the impact it, it has on us. I talk about how my dad died and how I relate that to issues related to toxic masculinity. And, and then we try to kind of engage with each other in terms of how we might want to, you know, sort of go about this. So what I want to say is that we're absolutely putting an effort forward to bring in other voices here, not traditionally sort of male voices into this conversation. We want um, other folks that will hopefully take part and push us to, you know, expand our horizon and expand our understandings. And ultimately, the goal here is for at least two cisgendered heterosexual men to take a look within themselves, find those you know, sort of toxic strains within us and see if we can do away with them, right? That's kind of what we're trying to do here. So I hope in listening to this, you know, that that, that, that intention comes across and I hope that you see it. And if not, you know, I hope you engage with us to help us to see the right way, you know, because ultimately that's, that's what we're trying to do here. 
So look, as always, if you want to take part in this conversation, please feel free to write me at josh at periveritas.com. You can get me there. And I promise if you send me an email, I'll bring it to the pod, you know, respond to you via email and also discuss your email on the podcast. And, you know, as always, please like and share this, this podcast with as many folks as possible. You want to, you know, try to see if we can get some listeners, even though I'm not really doing it for listeners, we do sort of want to make a difference. So, you know, I would like to, like to, you know, spread this pod to as many people as possible. I'm working on a number of exciting, cool interviews uh, upcoming. So, and hopefully some of them will be able to add to this conversation about toxic masculinity as well. So that's, uh, these are processes that are ongoing. So, you know, looking forward to having those conversations and sharing them. And uh, yeah, that's it. So as always, hope you enjoy this conversation. All right, here we go. Yo, Dre. Yo, Josh. <laughs> Fuck. What's good? What's good, man? How you doing? Uh, nothing's good. Nothing good at all. Nothing, <laughs> nothing whatsoever is good. I, I, that's not entirely true. There are some things that are good, but maybe not as much as we would like. <laughs> yeah, ain't that the truth? Not not enough to balance out the bad, for sure. Yeah, 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 exactly. Here we are, uh, um, less than a month away from the election. By the way, I, I got my election materials in the mail, and I'm 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 not sure what to do in terms of whether or not to do because I I could do a mail in ballot or I could go to my local polling station and just vote there. Yeah. And I'm not sure which one I want to do, to be honest. Yeah. Not at all yeah. Initially, we wanted to do a mail in, like get it out of the way, make sure it's good done, get it done early, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, but then we heard all these like, you know, shenanigans from like Trump and his people and all that stuff. And uh, so I was just like, ah, damn, I think we're gonna have to go in and risk our lives <laughs> in more ways than one up here because it's like. Not just risking your life with, you know, the virus, but also risking your life with, like, the crazy Trump nuts up here. That, you know, so yeah. Like, I'm not sure what we're going to be running into up here. That's what I'm saying. Like, like, do you know any mailmen? Have you, like, ever met any mailmen? Sure. Me too. And I don't know that, like, I trust that my ballot's going to make it from where it's picked up to where it's meant to be. <laughs> do you? And if it does... There's still no control. I mean, this was always a, a, a problem or a, a fear is that it gets to where it's going and, and then what? Yeah. You know, so, like, if your district is mostly on one side of the fence or the other, how do you know they don't, you know, manipulate it some way? And we know they do to a certain extent. Like, the way they like to manipulate things is just disregard things for, like, some kind of typo or scribble or whatever. Right, right. Like, oh, illegible garbage, you know, whatever. But the, right. I guess they're saying pretty much every check they've done, including Trump's own people checking it, there's not a substantial amount of voter fraud. Yeah. Which makes sense because most people just don't vote. So, Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and just, you know, it also makes sense because there isn't like really a centralized power in terms of, um, you know, like who is in charge of elections, like it's a state by state process. And then it's a district by district by district process. And also yeah. my thing is though, is that in the past number of elections, I mean, it's come down to like just a handful of votes. You know every what I mean? Time, the, every time. Yeah. yeah. Like, like here in, in San Diego. So in, and there's this one district in North County, San Diego, where I don't think it was this past election, but maybe the election before that, the Democrat who was running 
lost by like 150 votes or something like that. Yeah, it's kind of silly. That's it's silly. And, and then for some of these politicians to take uh, what liberties that they do with changing things around when you don't really have a mandate for that, like so few people actually voted for you in the end. Right. And, and ultimately, you're voting for an electoral college vote. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, for the presidency. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's such small margins. I was thinking about this the other day because, you know, they, people are very exuberant that Biden has such a huge lead. And then I'm like, oh, let me see this huge lead. And it's like, oh, he has like, you know, 50 something percent, low 50s. Trump has 40 something percent. Oh, it's a blowout. I'm like, that's not, not a blowout. Like, <laughs> that might not be enough. I yeah, mean, I'm like, that's nothing. To win. That doesn't even cover like, you know, just the, the error factor of just like you recorded something wrong. Some people lied or misunderstood or hit the wrong button. Like it could just be to me, that's a dead heat. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Dead heat. And then when you think about the Electoral College and, and how there it's oh, yeah. not a it's one the, person, one vote. Like there are a lot yeah, of places yeah, where yeah. one the vote individual vote more. almost becomes irrelevant. Like you're just trying to put it on right. record. Like, well, you know, we tried to get Hillary. They said we got her and then we didn't. I don't know what happened. Like, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. And, she, and, pe- and people weren't even that enthusiastic about having Hillary to begin with. So about that enthusiastic about having and, Joe and Biden. She, was, and she still and she still blew blew him out. But wasn't yeah. Out. So that, yeah. that's that's stupid. The people vote for something they don't get it, and then uh, get out there and vote. Everybody, every vote counts. Is like, but you just proved many times in a row that it doesn't count. Yeah. What are we doing? Is like, so am I going to vote so I can get spat on by some Trump supporter, and then maybe my vote not even be tallied? Like, I don't know what the hell. Yeah, it should be a direct democracy at this point, you know. Right. And like, I'm sorry that, you know, then that would mean that, you know, voters in Wyoming and have ne- don't necessarily have their needs met in the same level that uh, some of the big city folks do. But honestly, like, you know, it, it should be a direct democracy at this point. It's crazy that, you know, we've already had a couple of elections in our lifetime where the person who ended up being president did not get the most amount of votes. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Feels crazy to me. Yeah, uh, direct uh, democracy and, and appropriate education at every level, so the citizens can actually handle it. Like, yeah, yeah. Because let's face it, we specifically don't educate people, so they can't participate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, this is an uplifting start to a fucking. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we are number one. <laughs> Oh man, yo, I'm uh, I'm excited to dive into this with you, but I'm scared out of my mind to do it. Um, I, I understand. Yeah, it's a super I, personal one for you. It's a super personal one for me, and also, you know, this will be the second uh, sort of topic that we've covered that is like extra vulnerable, at least for me, because you know, I'm we're looking to explore like some of the shit that is kind of fucked up about us. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know, but it does feel like a little, at least with this one, like before we were talking about, you know, racism and talking about like my whiteness and the ways that like I've been racist uh, throughout my life and all that stuff. Like um, at least now it, it's like, I feel like you're here with me on this one. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> We'll see how that pans out, Josh. Oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) You're already totally woke and not even having any toxic masculinity inside of you at all. (laughs) Jesus Christ. So, um, so I, I, you know, I think like 
I like the idea of taking like our first episode in this series, at least, and making it free for like a little free form, loosey goosey, like just to, you know, sort of have a conversation about toxic masculinity in the first place to just sort of explore it and then go from there. And maybe there's some structure we can kind of build off of this. Does that make sense? Like to do it that way? It, it never makes any sense, but let's try it. <laughs> let's just go with it. The universe is chaos. Let's embrace the chaos. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So first things first, I, I took a moment and I looked up the definition of toxic masculinity. Okay. And I've got a couple of things here. You ready? No, but let's try it once again. <laughs> let's, do, let's try it. Let's, let's, let's just try it. Try it. Let's just try. Let's just try. All right. So um, I got a couple pieces here. One is if you just Google the word toxic masculinity, you'll get, you know, people ask, like, what 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 does toxic masculinity mean? So, you know, way up at the top of the definitions there, this is the quote that I got. Um, So toxic masculinity is when the archetypal image of what it means to be masculine becomes harmful and aspirational. It thrives by penalizing behavior. It thrives. Maybe they want to say with penalizing behavior, which does not conform. It thrives by penalizing behavior, which does not conform to its standard and celebrating behavior, which does. So that's the first definition that I found. Um, That's a very basic one. But here's, here's what you'll find if you look up toxic masculinity in Wikipedia. So this is a little bit longer. Sure. This is this is kind of like the first the first part of it. You know, it has like a whole bunch of other things, but this is the first thing. The concept of toxic masculinity is used in academic and media discussion of masculinity to refer to certain cultural norms that are associated with harm to society and to men themselves. Traditional stereotypes of men as socially dominant, along with related traits such as misogyny and homophobia, can be considered toxic due in part to their promotion of violence, including sexual assault and domestic violence. The socialization of boys in patriarchal societies often normalizes violence, such as in the saying, boys will be boys, with regard to bullying and aggression. Self-reliance and emotional repression are correlated with increased psychological problems in men, such as depression, increased increased stress, and substance abuse. Toxic masculine traits are characteristic of the unspoken code of behavior among men in prisons, where they exist in part as a response to the harsh conditions of prison life. And then it uh, goes to point out that other traditionally masculine traits, such as devotion to work, pride in excelling at sports, and providing for one's family are not considered to be toxic. The concept was originally used by authors associated with the mythopoetic men's movement, such as Shepard Bliss, to to contrast stereotypical notions of masculinity with a real or deep masculinity that they say men have lost touch with in modern society. Critics of the term argue that its meaning incorrectly implies gender-related issues are caused by inherent male traits. So that's um, that's the definition that you'll find if you look it up on Wikipedia as of now. So two things about that already at the top of my head. Shoot. The latter, latter half of that, uh, where they, the things they said are not included, should absolutely be included. <laughs> Providing for one's home. Yeah, being all that sports. stuff. Is, that, that's the start of the toxicity right there. That's the big, Without that, you have no toxicity. So that argument is almost moot on its face. Okay. The, the other part uh, that the counter argument is that you're kind of like taking a, an entire gender and describing it as what, yeah, that, I actually agree with that counterpoint. I'm not saying there's not such a thing as toxic masculinity, but with those two caveats, it like really needs like some 
redefinition or something. There. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then I looked up, there's this um, uh, um, list here, sort of a top 10 mascu- toxic masculinity behaviors to give you an idea of like what they're sort of thinking about here. So these top 10 toxic masculinity behaviors includes being stoic, being promiscuous, championing, uh, championing heterosexuality as the um, unalterable norm, being violent, being dominant, sexual aggression towards men, not displaying emotion, uh, not being a feminist ally, risk-taking, and not engaging in household chores and caregiving. So those are sort of the top 10, um, you know, Sounds sort of more like a definition of Trump and Weinstein or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, if that's supposed to be masculinity, then I already just don't want any part of it. Yeah. Fuck, <laughs> fuck the fuck otherwise. Fuck the fuck off. Toxic now, when, or otherwise, I want no parts of that. <laughs> yeah, for real. Now, when I think about like the Bible, right, which a lot of people um, would throw out there as like a source for understanding of masculinity. I mean, you think about like, I mean, first of all, as you and I both know, you know, there are not one but two creation stories. Mm-hmm. And in one creation story, male and female are created at the same time. And in the second one, that's where you have the story of Adam and Eve. You've got male that's created and female that's created from male out of the rib of male. Right. And as like a help mate or whatever for male. And um, we lowly humans decided which story to go with, even though right. they're both there. And you're supposed to learn something from both of them. Right, <laughs> right. And and there are many Jewish scholars that would look at that and say, I think probably not just Jewish scholars, but Christian scholars too, they look at that and say, well, you know, what this shows is that one is, quote unquote, an ideal creation and one is the real creation. So, you know, we live in a world where there is unfortunately hierarchical relationship between men and women um, and a world that's defined a lot by sort of male ignorance. And at the same time, you know, we can conceive of a world where that might that might not exist and we should be pushing towards that, you know. And so that's an interesting kind of read into this book, which, you know, in the Bible, which obviously is creating, you know, for some unhealthy ideals of what manhood might look like. But when I pull back and look at the Bible, sort of more generally speaking, what you find is you find a handful of kind of archetypal male figures, you know, where you've got the way that I put it is there's, there's the warrior, the prophet, the king, the farmer, and, um, you know, and, uh, I guess the teacher or whatever. Um, who, what was the fifth one? I'm forgetting what the fifth one is now. But but the idea is that every single biblical character of significance and who are males, they're all following these kind of main personality archetypes in a way. And so it's almost as if, as a man, you have to choose between these different male archetypes in order to be truly masculine. And that does feel limiting. Do you know what I mean? That totally feels limiting. Sure. But, but what I love about like the most basic definition of toxic masculinity is that these concepts of what it means to be masculine is toxic for both society and then for us as individuals, I guess. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of like, in a way, a starting point. I don't know. What do you think about that? About yeah, all that? I mean, if it's not both, then it's not even worth talking about it because then it's just like, okay, uh, if it's just you know men themselves, then it's like men go go figure shit out and then leave us alone. But the fact that it affects uh, you know family and society th- then that's something worth talking about right yeah you know yeah. no no person is an island unto themselves as we've been saying with everything these days 
uh, yeah, so you can't, there's no self-harm without societal harm. Yeah. And, so what were you going to say? Uh, and just, you know, obviously that reverse of that is that you know, without, if there's societal harm, there's also personal harm. In right. Right. So therefore it's, it's, it's worth talking about, you know, yeah. it's totally like most. so when, do you remember, like, when did you first, without even knowing the phrase toxic masculinity, do you remember a time when you first kind of became aware of it? I guess my whole life without putting any names to it, it was mostly just like a bunch of dudes doing dude stuff all the time, inviting <laughs> me to join and me being like, nah, I'm not into it. That's <laughs> pretty much been like the story of my life. Like everything that is typically just like, raw man, or I'm like, yeah, no, <laughs> no. It, like, it's, it's weird. Like, <laughs> uh, this is probably going to come off completely wrong. I don't know how to phrase this without it like offending somebody but uh <laughs> telling jessica about this numerous times like how how i grew up is like i would try to hang out with girls all the time like i'm a heterosexual yeah. guy from birth like <laughs> i was only interested in being around women all the time yeah and then guys always want to hang out in a group of guys quote unquote doing guy stuff and i'm just like well, where are the women yeah. oh andre all you do is hang out with women all the yeah. time and then here's the thing andre must be gay and I'm like, you're a dude hanging out with a bunch of dudes, and that's fine. I'm hanging out with women all day, but I'm gay. <laughs> all right, I guess more women for me, if that's what you want to think. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know like, like, I don't even like being around dudes most of our Just like non-sexuality, not even part of it. Just prefer the company of women. Like, men are fracking annoying most of the time <laughs> like, yeah well what, what you and i what i mean all throughout our friendship what did you and i ever do that was masculine <laughs> yeah not not by the traditional sense not at all not at all like no sports i, I don't believe <laughs> like uh maybe the only thing we did we did spar quite a bit right martial arts yeah martial arts yeah martial arts really. really. I mean, yeah but we didn't really do that in front of women no do you know what I mean? So there's a little bit of martial arts and things like that. But besides for that, like most of the time we were just kind of sitting around and talking. Yep. Which is sort yep. of, you know. Even while we're beating the hell out of each other, we're mostly talking. We're mostly lost, talking, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not even doing it. And, and then after we would spar, we would just kind of talk about what cool shit the other person did, basically. Yeah. Yo, when you did yeah, that and you like don't think of this. We were trying to learn from each other. We were literally trying to learn so it wasn't even like, oh, I beat you. Like, we never declared a winner to those things. It never got out of hand. No, mostly we were trying to argue how the other one was the winner. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Basically. Basically. Yo, you did that thing, and oh, my God, like, you kicked my ass with that one. No, 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 you <laughs> kicked my ass with that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, no, that's – I totally relate to that. I mean, I, I like, played basketball, you know, but I didn't quite understand, like, what that was all about. And so even at my height, like I didn't really have the competitive drive to, um, you know, be in there and be like a starter and uh, all that stuff. And sure. I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. Like I was just more interested in hanging out with you and writing poetry and hanging out with girls, you know, and that's kind of like where that was at. I remember, you know, I think I have to go way back to try to figure out like when I became like first aware of toxic masculinity. But one of the things that, like, the memories that really stand out to me now are, like, in high school, when, when you're, like, walking the halls, and all of a sudden the fight breaks out, mm -hmm. right? And it's almost always between two guys, but sometimes there would be girls fighting. And yeah. what would happen was, it was, like, this immediate groupthink where 
kids would gather around, make a circle and start yelling, fight, fight, fight. And like egging on the kids who were fighting. Right, right? right. And it didn't matter if they were friends with each other, if like whatever, like that was just what happened. And I remember myself being completely uninterested in that, you know, <laughs> just like walking past it, like, oh, come on. <laughs> and like trying to get through here, guys. <laughs> yeah, trying to get to class. This is like the least interesting thing I can possibly, I can possibly see. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? That's so that was like, that was like one of the first times that I think I was like really aware of just there's something really dumb going on here. You know, yeah. although on the flip side of that, I will say I do have respect for any two guys who like, you know, get into a physical altercation as long as it's, it's essentially evenly matched and afterwards can just shake hands and freaking get over it afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is which is something that culturally should be uh, extended to girls. Because honestly, oh, yeah. then a lot less mind games and social <laughs> fuckery yeah. would just evaporate. Just just punch each other out for a couple minutes, shake hands, get over it. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the only fights like that. Did you ever get into a fight as a kid growing up? We never sure. fought each other, but do you ever did you ever get into a fight? I don't remember you ever getting into a fight in. Fight yeah, in I got into a couple of fights. But uh, when I was most, there, uh, no, I was gonna say most of that stuff was pre-ocean. Oh, okay. I got that attitude. It was like completely different. Like no one, no one wanted to mess with me for whatever reason. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really weird. <laughs> That's funny. I yeah, went the... from schools where all they were doing was challenging you, and then all of a sudden it was just like complete quiet there. I was like, uh, "Are they just going to sneak up on me, or what's going to happen?" Like so that whole first year was like I was on on my toes for like no reason. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I remember. So uh, my one of my best friends in middle school and through ninth grade, because I went, I, I joined Goshen in 10th grade. So in ninth grade, I got into a couple of fights with the kid who was my, my absolute best friend there. Um, and, and I got into a couple of, of physical fights with him, which mostly entailed uh, me sort of kicking his ass because he, he wasn't doing karate at the time. And I was doing karate at the time. And once you start doing karate, especially the kind that I was doing, I mean, there's really, it's like, nobody can really fuck with you. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah, it's not yeah. like you just kind of know what to do. And most sure. people just kind of don't know what to do. So, yeah. so him and I getting into fights mostly entailed him trying to start some shit with me and then me doing something and him running away crying. Oh, so God. like yeah, one, one way in one day in gym class, we were outside playing soccer. He decided he wanted to um, throw me to the ground for some reason, like totally random. He like came over threw his leg behind me and tried to do that move, like the judo move where you like grab like someone by the lapel and throw them over the leg and get them off balance. So I just fucking tree tried to got into a stance and I became immovable. And then I pushed him down and, and then he ended up on his ass. And so he got up and tried to do it again. And then I pushed him down again and he got up and tried to do it one more time. And I pushed him down again and he fell and he ran away crying. And I remember feeling really guilty, you know, from that, from that exchange, but like he started it and I sort of finished it. And then another time we used to walk to school together. He kind of had this like long, like stick that he was using to kind of like poke me or whatever. And I was like, dude, stop. And he wouldn't stop. And then I just kept saying stop and he wouldn't stop. And so I, I punched him in the stomach and <laughs> I got him pretty good. Like I knocked the wind out of him. And again, he ran away crying. Um, the only time where I remember like, having a, a more masculine encounter was, which is really weird. This was like eighth grade. This kid, like, 
who I who I liked. I wasn't friends with him, but I didn't have any beef with him at all. Like I I thought he was a good kid. I just didn't hang out with him. This kid named Mark, and I was like, kind of like. I forget if I was, it was like in this area where a bunch of the kids, this area called the commons where a bunch of the kids would hang out. And I was like sitting in front of this bench, putting books in my bag. And I was like on my knees and he was walking past and I mistake tripped him. Like I kind of stuck my leg out and he sort of tripped. And then he got pissed and got up and started like getting into my face or whatever. And then I just kind of got into his face too. And we Mm -hmm. were like, just facing off like that in this like weird kind of uh, like who's like tougher or sort of thing. And like, I just remember not wanting to be there, but then thinking like, just use your karate. But I didn't, I actually didn't end up doing it. It didn't get past like little, little pushes and shoves and being in each other's face. And eventually he walked off and I walked off and that was it. And a couple of days later, we went back to basically liking each other. You know? <laughs> that kind of weird stare down thing. I've had that a million times. And also the, same kid repeatedly coming after you all the time and never winning. I've had that with two different people. Never really found out why. I never really found out what the hell the deal was and why they kept coming after me. Do you still talk to those kids at all? Not at all. Not at all. (laughs) Yeah, it's weird. Do do you remember like being in those moments and like trying to interpret it or whatever? Or I just remember being very annoyed. It's like the first time you're, you know, you don't know what's going on. Your heart's pounding. Your adrenaline's going. You're like, what's going on? And then, all right, so you squash it, or you think you squashed it. And then you're like, back the next day, and you're like, what the frack is going on here? It's like, how many times do I have to whoop your ass? I got to understand. Like, I'm not into this. Trying to get to the library once again, not masculine. <laughs> Trying to get to the library, kid. Let me alone. <laughs> Trying to read up on uh, John Milton and Keats and shit like that. Like. <laughs> I'm telling you. Trying to interrupt my Coleridge reading. What's going on here? <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Yeah. You have Just any idea how... I don't know what's happening. <laughs> you have any idea how romantic I'm planning on being as an adult? <laughs> <laughs> Very strange indeed. It's so weird. Now, what about like as an adult? Have you, do, do you can you think of like altercations that you've gotten into with uh, men as an adult? You know? Yeah, it's always uh, work-related, and it's always from a higher-up who, who wants not respect. They call it respect, but they want some ass-kissing. And uh, when you do, do the appropriate amount of ass-kissing the exact way they wanted to, there's you know going to be career consequences to that. And so for me, I can't. I can't. Like, <laughs> I can't do it. So there's always been you know career consequences because I'm not kissing anybody's ass in any way, shape, right. or form. If right. you're if you're right, I'll pat you in the back, and if you're wrong, I'm going to tell you you're wrong, and like that's the end of it. And you're not going to push me around just because you're signing my paychecks. Like that's right. That uh, you know, call it masculinity, call it toxic masculinity, but you know, I look at it this way: you can't intimidate me unless you're going to be able to take me in a fight. And I haven't met a boss yet that's going to take me in a fight. Right. And, right. and I'm not a fighter. It's just like I'm willing to go a lot further. So right. right. So I can't really take them serious. It's like. What exactly do you want from me? Like, don't talk to me certain ways as far as being rude and that kind of thing. It's just like, because you wouldn't do it if you weren't signing my checks. You know what I mean? Right. It's like just basic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So to me, I don't know. People might look at that and be like, oh, Andre, that sounds like toxic masculinity. Like, to me, it's the boss being toxic right there. It's like, like, I'm just trying to do my job. Like, like the kids who were, like, running around trying to beat you up every day. It's just like, dude, I'm just trying to do my thing. And you're, like, getting in the way as usual. Like, just. I'm telling you, man. 
We don't need to keep measuring our, our dick sizes against each other. <laughs> it's like I'm really not interested in who's bigger or smaller or whatever the hell. Really there, is, less. there is such a thing as like the freedom found in not feeling like you have anything to prove, you mm-hmm. know, and the gateway to which we get there, you know. So like for me, you know, I, I don't I really don't feel like I have that much to prove to anybody. Um, and there's a lot of reasons as to why, you know, I, I, I mean, I've like spent a lot of time unpacking it, you know, a part of it is honestly, I just decided that I had everything to prove to anybody. And, you know, because of that, I've found myself being able to sort of navigate those high emotional moments as an adult that might've gotten other dudes into trouble, you know? So like, I, I got two stories about that. One is, um, I was, uh, this is a few years ago. Uh, so I was already living out here. I was driving. And I, I honestly, by mistake, I ran a red light, you know, so totally my fault, really dangerous, freaked the fuck out when I did it. I was just, my mind was wandering and the light was red and I just zoomed right through it. Right. Nothing happened. There weren't any cars driving by, nothing happened. But this dude in a yellow, like fucking Camaro or some, some shit, some like, I really have a tiny dick, but this is my car. So maybe you'll think I have a big mm-hmm. car. <laughs> like, like he took it personally that he saw me do that. So next thing I know, he's like uh, tailgating me and then he's like zooming past me and slamming on the brakes in front of me and then allowing me to pass and tailgating me and honking his horn and zooming past me and slamming on the brakes in front of me like crazy aggressive (laughs) behavior like that and like yelling at me as he goes past whatever. So I was like somewhat familiar with the road and there was this part that I knew where I could kind of pull off the road into a parking lot and have a fence between me and him. So I pulled off the road into a parking lot and he pulled like right next to me, sort of on the road. So there's this fence between me and him, basically. And I rolled up my window. He rolled down his window and he's like, you ran the fucking red light. And I was like, yeah, I know it was a mistake. And he was like, why did you fucking do that? And I was like, because I made a mistake. I was like, why is this your responsibility? And, and then he goes, because you rich assholes get away with everything. And what? I was like, I was like, I'm, I'm in a Honda. <laughs> such a weird response. Such a weird response. And then he like skidded out and like zoomed off, you know, and that was definitely a crazy moment where like, I didn't know who this guy was. Like, you know, he was obviously driving very dangerously. It struck me that there might've been some kind of chemical imbalance going on inside that dude's head, man. I mean, it just seemed like there's some serious hormonal imbalances pissed off at something. But, like, he doesn't know me. Like, I could have a gun in my yeah. car. I don't it's know America. him. It's the odds yeah. are you would, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He could have a gun in his car. Like, I don't know what the fuck is about to happen. It's like, you what know? are you trying to achieve aside from, you know, all right, so, like, let's let's say he was successful. Success would have been you would have crashed into his car. Yeah. So how, yeah. Does, he, how does he even win during that? It's like, yeah. it's very, people are confusing. I don't yeah, know. But, and I, but I'm also in the car. Like, he doesn't know that I'm six foot seven. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't know yeah. like, the whole mess of stuff. Exactly, so, yeah. It's just very strange to me that like that like pushed like go and do that thing. But that was a moment where like, I, you know, you knew that there was something going on there. This dude saw me a thing, made it his responsibility to sort of come after me. And then now it's like quite a dangerous situation. Like if I was like I had uh, I was still working as a rabbi at the time. I actually had one of my congregants on the phone and I was like, just stay on the phone with me for this because I need there to be like a witness is a little bit crazy. And I definitely had to like pull my shit together. If I wasn't on the phone, I might have called the cops. You know what I mean? Like I might have done something like that and just driven that guy to a police station, <laughs> like <laughs> you know, and then who knows what. But like, I mean, he needs to go under observation. 
Right. Like a lot of thoughts like they're sort of going on. But the most recent one I can think of was not this summer because we've been in COVID, so I haven't done any traveling. But last summer I was in New York. Um, I went out to Manhattan with uh, my sisters, um, sisters, with my daughters to see my sisters and see my mom and family and all that stuff. And both of my daughters wanted to have like a special New York moment with me or whatever. So I took my oldest daughter to Times Square and then we like went down to the village and hung out like, you know, in like uh, Washington Square Park and all this stuff. You know what I mean? Like it was really nice. But while we were in the village, while we were in Times Square, it was still like pre-COVID. So there was a lot of people Mm -hmm. there. And I'm walking with my oldest daughter hand in hand. And this dude just steps in front of me. And next thing you know, we're like face to face, you know. And so I just kind of sidestep him and keep walking. Not thinking anything of it because, you know, like this is just what happens or whatever. But next thing you know, this dude is following me aggressively, mm-hmm. calling me uh, the F word, the six letter F word. <laughs> like, what? I can't fucking say, you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm walking with my daughter, you know, <laughs> like, and, and he's like calling me the six letter F word. He's like uh, cursing me out. He's like, um, why would you do that? You know, bitch ass, like all this stuff. And then um, and I was like ignoring him, just walking Mm -hmm. with Noah, thinking he's just going to go away at some point. But the dude would not go away. And finally, I turned around and I was like, look, man, I didn't see you. I'm sorry. And then he just turned and walked off and just kept yelling at me, but like walked off, you know. And but again, like another scary moment, like I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, am I going to fight this dude with my daughter? Like, how? Am I going to yeah, manage yeah. that, you know, yeah. like put her behind me and then take him down, like <laughs> su- submit him really fast. And like, I don't really want to have to deal with this, you know. Um, but like, I just so apologized to him and he moved on. Common. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and it was it was one of those teachable moments for my girl where it was like, this is what happens when you don't have anything to prove. You know, like, thank God I don't have anything to prove because if right, I did have right. something to prove and you're yelling at me in front of my daughter like that, like if I was any other guy then I might've turned around and fought the guy, you know, right. like how dare you call me that in front of my daughter. And now and like, or lose, there's no positive outcome to that scenario. No positive in times square. Are you kidding me? There's not like anywhere, but right there, like, I mean, there's no positive outcome to that whatsoever. So I was like another moment where it was like, but in that moment, I, I didn't like my heart rate didn't get all that accelerated. You know, maybe I think cause she was there and I felt like, and maybe because it was more recent, you know, mm-hmm. I just kind of mm-hmm. felt like more in control of what I was like dealing with at that time. But um, yeah, two really interesting examples of like strange, like masculine kind of connections, you know, like interactions like that, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put that firmly in the masculine. I've definitely seen those exact same scenarios play out with equal numbers of women. People are just nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nuts. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think about that. And then we also think about like, just you, know, you look at like the world in general and, um, you know, it's sort of undeniable that most mm-hmm. of the violent crimes in the whole entire world are, are, are done by men, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. most of the examples of, you know, significant, um, you know, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, you know, like when someone's in someone's pocket politically, what do they call that? <laughs> uh, bribes and that sort of thing. Yeah. That's mostly men. Financial you know? bribes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's mostly men. You know, I mean, when we like trace back, like 
most of the ills of society, it's going to come back to men, don't you think? Uh, I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I know they like to trace a lot of the violent crime to men, right? for sure. That specifically yeah. is, is definitely like a man's game. Yeah. Murder, murder is like a man's game. Obviously, women do their fair share, but like, yeah, uh, it's mostly murders, wars, etc. That's like a man's game, right there. Yeah, murder, war, rape, right? That's right. Mo- mostly a man's game. Yeah, yeah. So that speaks to something, but it doesn't feel like inherently like male to do those things. Like that's not like you know, you don't have to murder to be a man. You know, I never felt the need to murder somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, the problem with all these things, it's like they're created things. Right? So like, uh, yes, there's such a thing as male and female, but masculinity, femininity and like all the things that we attribute to them, aside from like their reproductive courses or whatever, yeah. are 100 percent created and can yeah. be uncreated. Yeah. So, you know, if we find they're not serving ourselves and not serving society, we need to, you know, drop those and walk away from them and pick something else. Yeah. yeah. But uh, just like, you know, a lot of other things, we seem unwilling to do that. I was about to say unwilling or unable, but we're completely able, just unwilling to do it. People take whatever the current situation is and they believe it's the only way it can be, even though it's been other ways in the past. And yeah. then, so it becomes a choice between like, well, if, if if we don't keep it like this, then we have to go back to the past way. And that didn't work either. It's like, no, we don't have to go past. We can just keep moving forward and do a little bit better every generation yeah. or every minute, really, or every year. Like, let's not stay stagnant. Stagnant systems die. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it starts to look ridiculous when you pull back and sort of think about it from just from an outside perspective. Like if you're an alien coming down and it's like you're looking at Earth and trying to sort of, you know, understand human behavior it it just all kind of seems ridiculous you know like why why those choices you know and sometimes it's kind of it's almost funny like so i'm like we're both kind of tall dudes do you you ever find that there is a height hierarchy among men do you ever come across the height hierarchy Mm, i always hear about it but i've never really experienced i feel like i'm kind of like in the middle you're two in the middle <laughs> i'm two in the middle of high wise i guess i don't like experience too much like i'm not short and i'm not really tall either i'm kind of uh, just like <laughs> i think if he was tall aren't you like six one six feet something no they probably thinking of george george is the tall one well george is like me. george is like six three six yeah, four he's way taller than i am i'm like five ten five eleven something like that all right well that counts as tall yeah. come on <laughs> that's tall it was i'm i'm six seven so that's very tall yeah, and that's, that's tall <laughs> i I find I grew that up with you, George and Eric, like you're, you're all giants and the Antoine, three of us. So like, yeah. me, like, you know, in my environment, I'm not tall at all. It's like, all right. Well, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> I'm average when you like look at our school. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But five, five, 11 is five, 11. I think still counts as tall. You know, there are some like five, 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 six dudes. They're like, fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I was five eleven. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I do find like at six, seven that I feel that height hierarchy all the time. Like little dudes, it's real hard for little dudes to be friends with me. And in the past, every single little dude that I've been friends with, my height is an issue for them, like a real That's issue for them. And it, it's hard for them to open up for me to me. It's hard for them to like talk to me and and I feel like there's con- there's a constant like power exchange between me and them where they're trying to like 
prove their power to me. You know, a short guy is like the guy who's most likely to be like, dude, I'll put you on your ass if you don't do this or don't do that. You know, and it's like, will, will you, will you really? <laughs> like, yeah, well, uh, pow- power exchange uh, really puts it in the crosshairs. That's kind of what the discussion really is, if I think yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like every human interaction has something to do with that. Well, at least every human action that has uh, some sort of negative side effect. That seems to be the commonality. Yeah. It's like, well, who's going to overpower who? And it's like, can we just like be equal? Like, <laughs> right. Right. or or at least just not care? Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're more suited to certain tasks. I'm suited to the other tasks. No one needs to be in control of the other person. Let's just move on. Yeah. No yeah, one's better. Be cool. No one's worse. Just a little bit different. Can we just move on now? Yeah. <laughs> God, God bless all of God's children, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, whatever platitude yeah. makes you calm the fuck down right now. Yo, the other one that I think is like kind of funny and weird too is uh, is the places where you find it. So um, in synagogues, for example, and other religious institutions, the way that um, like male hierarchical sorts of shit sort of plays out is very, very interesting. So, like, I, I was a rabbi in a very liberal Jewish movement called Reform Judaism, which you know, but the listener doesn't necessarily really know, doesn't necessarily know. But, like, in my movement, you know, there are male, male rabbis, female rabbis, gay rabbis, heterosexual rabbis, you know, we're, we're pretty much liberal, lowercase l, and pretty much liberal, capital L, across the board, you know, in terms of, like, what our practice is and everything else. But, like, it's only pretty relatively recent that we started bringing in like the first female rabbi was ordained in like 1972 or something like that. Right. And the first openly gay rabbi was ordained in like 1980 something. So this shit is like all very, very recent still. And mm-hmm. some people are like getting used to it. So sometimes you'll find like an old reform synagogue where, you know, have, that had been in existence since before the liberalizing of, you know, sort of these types of issues and the synagogue was always really a male place in Judaism. That's oh, what you sure. find in Orthodoxy, and that's what you found in Reform and everything else. It was always, like, really, really a male place. And what's happened is, is over time, as women have come into it, men have peaced out. Like, they don't want anything to do with it, you know? So you look at, like, like most synagogues will have, like, uh, a wall where they put, like, like headshots of all the synagogue presidents over the years. Right. <laughs> and so it really is like, you look at like, you know, 1950, 1960, 1970, like 1980 and earlier, and it's all men. And then there's like the first woman in like 1980 something. And then there's like three or four men in a row. Then there's like another woman in like, you know, 1987. And then there might be like two men in a row. And then there's like two women in a row. Then there's like a man and then it's just like a bunch of women, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the men just kind of peace out. Like they leave the synagogue such that now in many reformed synagogues, there's like a special effort to try and figure out how to bring men back in. That's pretty funny. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) And it's been going on for like, I've been, I was a rabbi since 2005 and back in 2005, even it was like, you know, I was like heading up the brotherhood, which was like kind of like the men hangout spot. And it was like pulling teeth to try to get men to come to synagogue and do shit. <laughs> and the way they used to do it was like, there was like a special drinking cabinet, you know, <laughs> like they had their wow. own liquor cabinet, you know, shit like that. Or like, you couldn't just it... end the sentence with, and then to meet women. Right. No. <laughs> no. 
That's that usually been, enough to get the men there. Like, I know, but for single men, sure. But for the married guys, you know, that was... Uh, at well, that point, they're like, "That's the last thing I want." Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they can't, they can't do that. But, but it, like a really interesting thing. And then you actually kind of find that across professions too, where like a profession is like mostly men, and then like women start to go in there. Then the men piece out of that profession, and then it's like just women, basically. You know, so that now it's like hard to find male pediatricians, for example. Do you know what I mean? Like, sure. Um, hard to find male teachers. Right. I mean, they're there. Hard to find male nurses. Yeah. You know, they're totally there, but it's like such a rare occurrence. So eventually those become like even when a man goes into it, people look at him funny. So that really deters the rest of the men from even drawing. Yeah. Yeah. Like how many male receptionists? Right. I would do a receptionist job in a heartbeat. I know. (laughs) They'd never hire me. They would never hire me. I know. Like, why do you want to be the receptionist? You'd be the fucking perfect receptionist, man, with that voice. Are you kidding me? <laughs> never Jesus. hire me. Care, uh, child care. Yeah. I'll never hire a man to do like home child care. People would look at you like uh, like you are Why a... Why does this dude uh, want to take care of my kid? Like, Must be a, a pedophile. Job. It's like, right. yeah, it's like it's just a job, dude. It's, it could be any other job. Like, just relax. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Must be a pedophile, though. Yeah. 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 Uh, remember when I was doing the stay-at-home dad thing with uh, with my kids? Sure. The, 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 like the verbal gymnastics, I felt internally that I had to deliver. And then the reactions I got from people were stunning in terms of like, the, wait, what are you doing? You know, like the amount of times people would say to me like, oh, I see you're babysitting your kids. And it's like, how do you babysit your kids? They're, they're, your they're, kids. My, they're my fucking kids. <laughs> I'm not babysitting them. <laughs> These are my children. Yeah. So, so, um, so what did you lose your job? No, like I chose to do this, mm-hmm. you know? By choice, like totally, I, totally. I am the stay-at-home dad because I wanted to be the stay-at-home dad. You know, God forbid a man should like want to get some years of quality time with their children, taking care of that shit. You know, or like taking my girls to the pediatrician, and they would be like, "How many glasses of milk do they get a day?" And then before I even have a chance to answer, say, "You know, oh wait, maybe we should wait and ask your wife because she wouldn't know that." <laughs> you know, and I'm like, "No, That's actually, so old-fashioned." So old-fashioned, and I'm like, "No, actually, she wouldn't know that because I'm the one that's giving them the glasses of milk." You know, in that kind of thinking, it's like. I think that ended in like 65. Like, <laughs> right? like yeah. so like, what are you people so, even talking about? Like, well, it's, like, it's like a young female pediatrician that's asking me those questions too. I'm like, come on, <laughs> come on. You had to fight through so much to get to where you are. <laughs> like, yeah, seriously. And it's not possible for like a dude to want to be a dad, you know? So um, yeah, that it's like crazy frustrating, but, um, but to me, the most tragic story related to toxic masculinity is, I think, the story of like my dad and how my dad passed away. Because I totally connect yes. that with uh, toxic masculinity. Um, so I'm happy to tell that story now, unless anything I said made anything that it's something that you wanted to say very quick, and then I'll tell that story. No, no, go ahead. So I told you this story today, texting, and mm-hmm. uh, so I'll just kind of tell it again. But so my, you know, as you know, you you know my, I mean, knew my dad really well. You know, yeah. and I think you would agree that, you know, he was E.F. Hutton completely, which if nobody listening knows what that reference is, there's commercials where um, the tagline was when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. And mm-hmm. the reason is because he fucking never speaks, you know, yeah. like my dad was like silent, stoic, like, you know, just that kind of type, 
you know, just really, really silent. But you also knew that behind that silence was like an intense sensitivity, you know, like a mm -hmm. real, real intense sensitivity. So it wasn't as if he was like a, he wasn't like a clenched fist as a person, though there was that aspect to his personality, but he was definitely like quite tortured, I think, from sort of a lot of stuff. So my dad grew up in the Ozark Mountains as a, he was a hillbilly and he grew up dirt poor, um, you know, in a home without any running water, without any electricity or heat or anything like that. In the dead of winter, if they had to go to the bathroom middle of the night, you're walking out of the house to the outhouse, you know. And, uh, and that was how he grew up. His family, they were farmers. They were, uh, grew, you know, they grew pigs and they grew like okra. So like real small town farmers. And your, your crop was how much money you could have for the year. And then his father was a science teacher as well as a way to kind of like make money on the side. So back then, and I think still now, if you were growing up dirt poor in the, in the Ozark mountains, you know, as a hillbilly, the, um, if you want economic advancement, what you would do is grow up and be a teacher. Like that was, uh, that was what you did, which by the way, shows how poor they, how poor they were, right? Yeah, like yeah. being a teacher is economic advancement, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's like, definitely puts it in perspective. Yeah. That puts it in, in real perspective there. So that was what my dad did, but like knowing my father, could you ever imagine a scenario where being a high school history teacher standing in front of a room of teenagers trying to capture their attention and hold it for 45 to 45 minutes to an, to an hour at a time is anything that he'd ever be comfortable with. Never, <laughs> never, ever never. in a million years. Right. Yeah. Like never, ever in a million years, but he's like said, small table, family dinner, small event. That that's his, that's his, it. That's his jive right there. Yeah. Yeah. My mom used to tell me that when they would go out with like couples after hanging out, she would often get calls saying, Hey, did Tom have a good time? Because they couldn't tell because, mm -hmm. you know, he looked so uncomfortable most of the time. Ah, um, okay. Cause he was just so painfully kind of shy in that way. You know, I mean, you know, around you, like you were basically like another son to him. And so after a while he kind of loosens up and stuff like that. And then, yeah. you know, but even then talking to him, like, you know, you'd, you'd say a million words and he'd come out with one sentence that would just kind of blow up your spot. And then, that was, yeah. that was it, yeah. right? He's more of a listener. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, way more a listener. So um, he started out in his career as a high school history teacher. And that job so completely terrified him that for the first two years of his career doing that job, he would uh, throw up every single morning before going to work. And he had all kinds of like panic dreams or whatever. He had this like recurring panic dream where he would, he swallowed a nail and he'd like mm. wake up like coughing you know, saying to my mom, like I swallowed a nail or whatever. And, um, but he would throw up, like literally throw up every single morning before going to school to teach. And, um, and when he died, so what happened was he, um, got a pulmonary embolism, some, uh, blood clot or two got into his lungs. And so, you know, the, the, and he wasn't feeling great at all before that he just was feeling real crappy. So he started going and seeing docs and they figured there must be some kind of cancer situation going on here. And it turned out they were right. He had leukemia, but they didn't discover that until after he died because they needed to take care of his clots first before figuring out what type of leukemia he had. Right. So he had this pulmonary embolism 
And they were going to start giving him special medicine to kind of like thin out his blood. But before they did that, they needed to put like basically almost like a spider's web in his major artery leading into his stomach in order mm-hmm. to keep clots from getting out into his body and God, God forbid getting thrown into his heart or, or to his brain. And they, they were going to do a surgery. They were going to put that, that little spider's web in there, basically. So um, they went in there to do it. But in the process of going, it was like one of those things where they're like, look, we're going to go in and do this surgery. And it's going to start as like A-level intensity. But if we have to make it more intensive, we're going to increase the intensity of the surgery as it goes on, you know. So they went in to do this one little procedural thing, ended up doing a gazillion other things while they were in there. So they opened him up and they discovered that his, his intestines were in the wrong place. Like they had been moved basically. And his stomach muscle lining was all sorts of fucked up and bruised and all kinds of stuff. There were hundreds upon like hundreds upon hundreds of clots in his like stomach lining. And basically his whole gut was like, rearranged and turned around and all kinds of messed up. So the surgeon, this was at Memorial Sloan Kettering, which is like top three, you know, cancer hospitals in the country. The surgeon basically put everything in its right place, you know, moved his intestines where it was supposed to be, cleaned out all the clots in his stomach, did all that stuff, and then put the, did end up putting the spider web in there and closed them up. And was later on, went to my mom and was like, was, was your husband like in a major car crash at some point? And she said, no, I mean, no, like never, not that I'm aware of. And he said, because his innards, his gut section, like his abdomen basically is consistent with having had been in a major car crash at some Mm, point. Like crushed almost. Yeah. Like crushed almost. So, you know, then a couple of days later, while he was still in the hospital recovering from that, you know, he, don't, he basically woke up like thinking it was going to be a small scar and his whole stomach had been unzipped, you know, and he was like, what the fuck, you know, <laughs> like, right. what, the what the hell happened to me, you know, and they like explained to him and stuff like that. But um, unfortunately, you know, like a couple of days later, his shoulder started swelling. And I think probably what happened was he, he had, they just missed a couple of clots. And, uh, and then couple days later, one went to his heart. He had a heart attack and he died. Mm. And that was like how he died. Later on, they discovered that he did have a type of leukemia, but, and we don't like really talk about this as a family. I think honestly, he died from those two years throwing up every single morning. Like when you think about like what your stomach muscles do when you throw up, do you know what I mean? Like how painful that is? Like your stomach muscles don't clench that tight ever. Unless you're in that frequency moving all those organs around, essentially. Yeah. Every single fucking morning for two years straight. You know, and, you know, they say like in America that if you're a man, the furthest you live away from any ocean, the less likely you are to take yourself to a hospital, to a doctor, to get help of any kind, you know. Hmm. And this dude grew up in fucking central Missouri. (laughs) Hmm. you can't be further away from the Pacific or the Atlantic than <laughs> central Missouri. That's right smack dab in the middle of the country, yep. you know? Yep. So he never took himself to a therapist ever. Um, he would rarely go to a doctor ever, you know? And, um, 
and he didn't really take care of himself. And so, you know, you think about like the lifelong damage of that, the amount of pain he might've felt sort of normally. And then, you know, this shit kind of happens and sort of goes, goes wrong. Right. So like, here's my dad. And I think like we would both say that in terms of the, he didn't put any toxicity into the world at all. Yeah, definitely not. Not at all. Right. But I don't have any question in my mind that toxic masculinity killed him. You know, like it killed him. Yeah. He, he didn't, you know. The inability to like talk about it or get any physical help or psychological help. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent, you know. So, um, yeah, this is a personal ass topic for me. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it's crazy because like. On one hand, yeah, you know, you can we can fault males for saying, oh, well, you didn't get help. And uh, but the other part of it is like, did anybody actually want to listen, though? <laughs> yeah. In this, in this society is like, you know, you know, the one or two times, you know, I, I don't know about your dad, but just been general. Well, sometimes you do get desperate enough to reach out. And then the response back is, you know, either terrible or nothing a lot of the time. So, yeah, it just reinforces it. it's like, all right, I just need to shut up about it and deal with it. then. Yeah. Yeah. You know, most of the time, you know, most of the time, suck it up and deal. Right. Yeah. You know, and that was the thing that like suck it up and deal was the thing that my dad said to me over and over again. And, you know, I learned to do that, but also that shit caught up with me <laughs> for real. Well, it caught up with me for real, you know, so it's a, it's a thing, man. It's really a thing. So I don't know. I mean, this whole Josh and Andre save the world business that we're up to. I mean, this, this is like, you know, we're, it's essentially an effort to get humanity to, to level up. Right. That's like what all the conversations are, be it racism, you know, religion last time now, you know, manhood <laughs> government next time. Right. It's like, what do we talk about here to kind of help people to level up, you know? Yeah. So well, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, deeply embedded problem uh but in some ways easier to fix than the other stuff it's easier than the economy <laughs> it's yeah. easier than a new government and it's definitely easier than than religion uh and i think it's because it's like so primitive so even though it's been around for a long time since it's so primitive it's also like just very simple yeah uh in a weird way half of it's like you're saying like you know is just get yourself to not care Right. And then the other part of it is to get people, the other rest of the people not to get. Right. Right. right, right. <laughs> I mean, in these very simple terms, I mean, the, the reframe I was saying you know, before this is, isn't really like toxic masculinity. That's like a big misnomer. It's really the myth of masculinity. Right. Because we're defining, oh, masculine is X, Y, and Z. And then, well, let's just define it as something else then. Like, it doesn't include any of those things. None of those things are useful to the self or to society. So, logically we don't need them then they're not helping us survive they're not helping ourselves they're not helping the community and uh you know it seems like the more labels we can get rid of in general the better off We're, humans are yeah uh, we need to be flexible in what roles we can inhabit right the animals who can adapt to the environment are the ones who survive the best when yeah. you can't adapt and you can't change you're you're extinct you're killing yourself yeah yeah that's a that's a hundred percent right you know, men and women, you know, the, the, the stupid things that we come up with, what makes a, a woman like, oh, 
you have to give birth by a certain age. You got to be married. You have to be a good housewife. But now you also no one wants to pay any money, so you have to go out and work and be a housewife. Right. You have to, to put up with a man who's no good because he's making enough money and he's a carry the kids. You know, like, on and on and on and on. You know, the whole like insane beauty standards, and then who says what beauty is to begin with? You know, probably not you, your money, or your culture. So it's impossible. You know, and all these labels and definitions are just let's just call it what it is fucking complete bullshit yeah and just need to be set aside so the 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 first step for individuals like stop fucking giving a fuck i say it like that bluntly but like you know there's no not that there's no point but just to make it easier honestly than trying to get like high fluting with the language is just like stop giving a fuck what people think yeah <laughs> What what the fuck have people done for you fucking lately? How about that? <laughs> you know what I mean? These people we're trying to keep pace with and hold favor with, they're just as two-faced and suffering and imperfect and dealing with the same demons as you are. So who cares? They don't have the answers. Yeah. They don't have the answers. So there's no point in trying to impress them or even being friends with them. If they can't handle it, fuck them. Yeah. Yeah. And the other piece is like, uh, so um, the same, uh, the same podcast that I sort of use as a jumping off point for our conversation about racism is uh, another one that I'm kind of using as a jumping off point for our conversation here, because they did another multi-part deep dive into the history of an impact of, you know, masculinity, patriarchy, manhood, toxic masculinity, all that, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, so in episode one, uh, seen on radio in the very next season after racism, they covered manhood, basically. And uh, in the very first episode, they talk about kind of what scientists think, you know, what um, anthropologists think is the history of sort of the patriarchy in that way. And what they say is that, look, in hunter gatherer societies, it doesn't really make a ton of sense for there to be a strong separation between what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. Like everyone has to help out in, in their own way because it's, it's dumb to limit your resources like that. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Like if there's a woman who can hunt, she should come on the fucking hunt because you need yeah. people on the hunt, you know? And, yeah, and there was a time and there were certain tribes that that's actually how male female was defined. Right. It's like, okay, so men go out and hunt. So regardless if you were female or not, or, if you were right. out and hunt, the language sometimes would encompass you as like you're a man. Like, yeah. like there was like this insane thing, not tribal society at all, but just to, along the same lines, uh, ancient Egypt, I forget which era, but uh, Queen Hatshepsut, ships, I believe her name's pronounced, yeah. who was actually not queen, but Pharaoh. Right. Pharaoh was traditionally a male thing. She had to wear the traditional beard, like the <laughs> beard jewelry right. to make her... You know, because that's what they did is just part of the, the dress routine of being a man. Like, right. So just right. to show the absurdity of it. And it's right. like, oh, well, you're a dude. You want to stay home and make baskets back in some ancient tribal society? Right. You're a woman. Like, that's because right. it's called women's work. We don't know why, but it's just as traditionally yeah. we look at it that way. Right. But right. so when you look at it, it's like, it's just quite ridiculous. It's all, it's all, it's all ridiculous. So apparently, you know, the, the kind of, more like absurd male slash female roles that we see in society today really only began about 10,000 years ago, which 
is a long time ago for sure. Right during the advent of so-called civilization. Right, but not that long when you think that there have been humans for something like two hundred thousand years or whatever. You know, yeah, like yeah. like it's a it's only a, a like just a, a very very small percentage of human history that this shit has been going on. And then when you include the early hominids, like you know a million two million years before that, where it's very close to them doing artwork, they're making tools. Some of them, it's like still very close to us. Yeah, and they don't have this any evidence. Of this yeah, no, no evidence of this stuff. And in fact, you know, um, in terms of like what it was like to provide, what it was like to everything else. I mean, everyone sort of sharing, you know, and the the gathering process, everyone sharing, everyone sharing in the hunt. The hunt actually wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, you might find artwork on caves of humans taking down a woolly mammoth, but they might have done that once every two or three generations, and that was it. You know, like that, and then it just talked about it, you know, for a long time. <laughs> but it wasn't like a common occurrence or whatever, you know. Um, and 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 that early as well, they were taking care of very ill and injured people. You know, we yeah. see broken femurs that were healed and things like that. That's months and months of recovery of people taking care of you, not able to do anything. Not able to do to anything. Kind of, that's yeah. our society. Exactly, exactly. And evidence shows even when, you know, the Stone Age, quote unquote, started, you know, and the humans start making tools and shaping stone and things like that, that it was actually often the women or folks who were staying sort of at the camp that were doing that work, you know, that were working with the tools and, and forming the tools and all that stuff, right? So I guess that makes sense because when the men went off to World War One and Two, the women were back home making the weapons. In the factories making the weapons. Yeah. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Not a masculine or feminine trait. Like everyone, anyone could be an engineer. <laughs> anyone yeah. could be a mechanic. Yeah, you just have to learn the skills. So I say it's like it feels more daunting because, like, when talking about racism and whiteness, like we went back to like the 1600s to define when whiteness began. You know that, and, and whiteness essentially began with the slave trade. You know that was like when the whole definition of whiteness kind of started was there with the slave trade. So this is older than that. Obviously it feels, it feels more daunting because of how old it is, but in a way it's also kind of more simple. I guess is what you're saying, even though yeah. it's so much older it, and it's still very, very young in the grand scheme of human history. You know, yeah. it's just all the history we know really well has happened since then, you know, the harder piece is actually not the toxicity part, even though I guess it is an extension of toxicity is disassembling the male power structure over the female power. structure. Yeah. That's the, but you know, so that's the part that people don't want to give up, but we can actually like uh, address some of the more virulent things a lot easier. Just like, like just not yeah. doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, essentially this is what we're going to be doing in this uh, run of episodes here. <laughs> I wonder how many it's going to, it took us three to, un to unpack racism four <laughs> to create a new religion. How many is it going to take us to do masculinity? Half. Two, you think? <laughs> or is that an no, Eddie Murphy joke? <laughs> that should be an Eddie Murphy joke. It is an Eddie Murphy joke. <laughs> that's a, that's a, it's just like no matter what the number is, it's going to be half of something. <laughs> so if it was five episodes, I guess, I guess it could also be twice as many, like depending. Like, depending. <laughs> Well, no, I, I feel like I feel like this 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 whole masculine feminine thing is like 
breaking more and more every generation anyway. So yeah. Um, yeah. I we're, mean, we're definitely less bound than our parents a hundred and certainly our grandparents is like, they wouldn't even recognize us. No. They don't, our great grandparents would look at us and be like, you're not men. Yeah, I know. and the I woman know. would be like, "Yeah, you're not men." Like, <laughs> I know, I know. I know. And then, like you know, uh, the the kids out here today, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna sound like a, a fossil or a judgy, but it's it's neither. It's just an observation. Like, if I see two kids, kids meaning like teenagers, twenty something, holding hands in the distance, it looks like it's two girls holding hands, and you're like, "Oh, that's." sweet that in this community like two lesbians could be out and open and you get to go oh no it's actually important girl oh okay like <laughs> yeah <laughs> so like yeah. It, yeah it is just it's it's window dressing a lot of it is what i'm saying it's, it's it, all it window dressing literally yeah. just clothes you can put on and clothes you can take off they can't make or unmake your gender whatever that's going to be defined as like these are just roles we're playing we need to look at it as as the word says it's a role it's almost like an acting role like being a man is like an acting role. Being a woman is like an acting role, and you need to be able to, you know, take it off when when you're done doing that role or whatever. You if know, it's not, if you don't like the role, then don't play it anymore. Yeah, you know, my my daughters have reached the age now where they're teaching me easily as much as I'm teaching them, mm-hmm. if not more. You know, I mean, it really is at that point now where like they are now, you know, what their generation is thinking and how that generation is sort of approaching these types of issues is Mm -hmm. so foreign from what you and I would have thought of when we were younger. You know, like we've talked about this before, where like when we were kids, you know, from a liberal standpoint, like we would have been I mean, and this is sort of what we thought, but we were considered sort of extremely liberal just by saying sexuality is a is a single spectrum. You've got gay on one side, straight on the other, and everyone's basically somewhere in between, you know? And now kids are like, mm, nope, that's an antiquated definition. It's more like a color spectrum, not a single line spectrum at all. It's like a big color palette, basically. And you could be a whole mess of different things, you know? And my daughters are like, you're not just heterosexual male, you're cisgendered white heterosexual male. <laughs> like, yeah. the most privileged thing a person can be in America, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> those combination of things, but like, there are so many other different definitions of what a person can be. And like my girls have friends who go from identifying as a boy or to a girl, like two, three times a month, even, especially at this age where they're kind of getting older and trying to settle into something and constantly switching back and forth. Now this friend is now a boy and now identifies as a boy. And in in a lot of spaces now in that age, you're it's, you're not even allowed to ask a person's gender. No, 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 not at all. That, 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 every other thing I said, it was like we were talking about, I could flow with very easily. Yeah. Uh, The transition I would have a harder time making, like say I have to start out now or something, I guess I am starting out now, is the idea of like, you, you can't know and can't inquire about a gender. Right. Doing so would be somehow uh, rude or limiting, whatever. Right. Um, but, you know, I'm also black and random people come and ask to touch my hair. So, like, I come from that world where it's like, <laughs> I think I can ask someone who, if I'm asking them on a date, make sure if they're male or female or get to know them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if they get to just, like, can I touch your hair? Like, who are you? Like, then yeah. I, yeah, yeah cut me a little slack. Like, <laughs> what are your pronouns? <laughs> yeah, everything is not equal yet. So, you got to cut me a little slack. Yeah. yeah. Or, or not. Like, I don't care, which is really how I fall exactly. on most of these issues. It's just like. 
you know, when people have problems with these different things, I'm like, these are not the people who have been harassing me. You know, yeah, it's yeah, like exactly. the people who are changing up the gender. I don't I never had an issue with that with that person. You know, person who's LGBTQ. I've never had an issue with any of those people. Like, nope. <laughs> so like, nope. I, I guess let's have more of them then, so people can bother me less. Like, I don't I don't know what the answer is or like what people want. Like, so. It's it's uh it's definitely fascinating, but I I feel like very lucky that I'm bringing this kind of attitude and mindset to parenting, where it's like I'm just accepting the fact that there's like shit that I don't even know about, shit that from when I was younger I couldn't even begin to imagine, and that then opens me up to like what my girls have to teach me about the world that our generation just wasn't aware of, you know, and then like modeling that for them, right? Where it's like, hey, just don't forget that there's some stuff that you can't even imagine that your kids are going to bring your, to your attention when you have kids and, yeah. you know, try to approach it with the same humility that I'm trying to show you here. You know, every generation is woke for that generation. But once that next generation comes along, it's like, you know what, you're not as woke as you think you are. <laughs> yeah, and, and a slight olive branch to like the typically, uh, you know, right winger extreme, uh, how can you say there's no gender? You know, those type of people, there's yeah. definitely male and female science tells us. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, you're talking about like some vague reproduction things. And, but but the problem is, it's like, that's not as steadfast as I think it is. No one. And then two, like we were saying through this whole conversation, the bigger issue isn't the science of determining male, female for reproductive purposes. That's not really that big of an issue. Yeah. The bigger issue is how each of those people are treated. That's right. This is so like to go back to your earlier point about the whole power aspect of it. I wonder how much of this gender flip flopping would be going around if everything was equal opportunity. Yeah. For real. Yeah. If it was equal pay for real, if everyone was treated equally for real. Yeah. Uh, you know, be whoever you want after that. But that, that would be an interesting experiment. Like, oh, you're going to be treated exactly the same and get the exact same pay. Yeah. Let's see who's switching around and redefining themselves in that in that space. Yeah. And really like worrying about it. Like, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I don't know the answer. I'm just very curious, very curious about that. There's actually new laws. Uh, it's a run of laws that are kind of like moving from state to state now. So I think New York has this law. California has it. A bunch of other states have it. Um, and I only know this because I'm a recruiter, but it is now illegal for people like me or anyone to ask someone what their current salary is in the process of getting a new job. So oh, that's a load. Oh, you know what? <laughs> yeah, but no, but the but the reason why it's illegal is to is because what was happening was you would say to them, well, I'm making this much, and then they mm. would go, okay, well, we're going to offer you this much, and that was how. Oh, they I were, see. When you're applying, when you're applying, yeah, right. they still ask that. Is that just in your your area? Um, it's illegal to ha put, to be asked that in New York too. Oh, they totally put that on every application. Yeah, still. that's illegal. They're not supposed <laughs> to do that. They're not supposed to do that at all. You could actually get them in quite a bit of trouble if they do that. Yeah. And, um, and, and that's because they, they have to pay you based off of like market levels, you know, not assume that you're making less than other places so that you can, they can like essentially pay you less. And that's a, that's a move to make it so that women will, will hopefully catch up to where men are, but still not, you know, not even close. But, um, but there are like some laws that are starting to pass state by state that are changing that, but it's such a fucking snail's pace. It's crazy. Yeah. None, none of that stuff's ever enforced, you know? 
yeah. workplace safety is not enforced, so they're not even going to enforce this. Like, no, no, yeah, right. but but we follow it as recruiters. We follow that really carefully, you know. So the way what the way I phrase it now as a recruiter is, I'll say to somebody to a potential candidate for a job, I'll say, I'll tell them about the law, and then I'll be like, and this is what they're looking at for the for this particular position. What would you need to make in order to you know move to your next position? Like, what would you be looking for? Is what I say. And especially for women, like when I talk to a female candidate or other minority candidates, I'll say, this is where the company is at for all candidates. So don't be this, don't, do not base this on what you're making at all. Base this on, you know, what I'm telling you, and then we'll take it from there. And then they sort of understand and do that. For a lot of my so female- So if, if I'm understanding, if essentially if you're saying, I don't know, the job is 20 bucks an hour, does 20 bucks an hour work for you or do you need a little more? Right. Is that the kind of scenario? Exactly. Exactly. Only for me, because it's, I'm working with looking high, highly paid, you know, uh, industry physicians and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. If like base salary is, you know, from 300 to 350, um, mm -hmm. a year. And is that what you would need to move to your next opportunity? And, um, and do not tell me what you're making now. Cause that's, <laughs> you know, that's like irrelevant. Cause if you tell me 250, yeah. they're going to bring you on for 275 when they were willing to pay 325 to the person, you know, right. and that's a big difference. That's a big difference. So, um, so yeah, this, this shit is like slow going and you have to be like, you know, sort of a, across, you know, the huge effort to like make it happen. Yeah. When it, when it comes to businesses and when it comes to uh, businesses faster than government, uh, but government and business are both slow for yeah. social change. Yeah. Yeah. Religious is the, <laughs> religion is the fastest way to No, Religion is the fastest. Yeah. You come up with a new religion to bring blood. They're all on board. Just tell me what to do. That's it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you get people to give up more rights. Usually is what they end up doing with, yeah. religion, but there's no rule that says religion has to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, yeah, I mean, if it's, if it's your immortal soul in the line, you'll do whatever it takes instantaneously and not waste any time. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt. The problem with religion, though, is that like, you know, the word tradition literally means like an unchanging thing, you know, from like millennia ago and all that stuff. And so that's why, like, you know, I'm so as soon as you, you know, from our last conversation, as soon as you have a Bible from our last conversation, then you've, you've got stagnancy, like real stagnancy a lot of times, mm -hmm. unless you build in change into the Bible, like kind of how we did with our eight commandments, you know, yeah. how, how to sort of do that and stuff. But uh, anyway, this was all that I kind of had in my mind to bring out for this initial conversation. What do you think? Are we missing anything for this first talk? No, that's a good, that's a good stopping point for the first. Yeah, I agree. This is a good start. Now, I, this does not I mean feel like this is, I feel like this is the most hot mess <laughs> one we've done so far. <laughs> it's a complete hot mess. I have no, what I was about to say is I have no fucking idea what the next, what the next conversation is going to be about, but yeah. maybe give ourselves some time to percolate and then we'll figure, we'll figure out yeah. what, to what to do next, but like. A week or so to percolate, and then we'll figure out how to like. Eventually, this is going to devolve into a fool's yelling into the mic. Stop it! <laughs> this week on Andre and Josh, save the world. Stop, stop it. it! Stop it! Fucking stop! Put it down! Put it down! Put it down! <laughs> Put down the democracy, sir! Sir! Just let it go! Sir. Put it down, sir! Do just not say, drop that. Just it's very say, fragile. Just say sir over and over again. <laughs> sir, <laughs> sir, sir, sir. Put it down, sir. Put it down, sir. <laughs> Put down that economy, sir. It's very fragile. Put it down. Just leave the economy. 
We're doing some very delicate work on that. Just leave I'm it telling go. you, I'm telling <laughs> you, it's craziness. It's craziness. All right. So uh, now that we're sufficiently confused and um, hopefully you've confused the zero people exactly who are listening to this, mm-hmm. um, I guess a uh, break, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. And.